Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Day. I'm Brittany Lombas. I am James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And we are no longer a movie podcast. This is a gossip show now. <laughs> we get into the mess of people's lives. We're spilling the tea. How are you doing? <laughs> Can we chat? Let's chat. I would have to leave the podcast. Not because I would refuse to be on it, but I have nothing to contribute. Right. I have no gossip. <laughs> I think it's going to be good for the brand to like branch out. Like from here on out, you know, this is what people care about. Like what are the stars up to? What are they doing in their personal lives? Oh, I love this stuff. I love getting messy. Yeah. We need to diversify. I want to bring back the National Enquirer. (laughs) Now. And this is how we're going to do it. I got a little messy outside the movie theater last night when all four of us went out and saw John Waters' Desperate Living Mm. from 1977. Uh, It... Probably is my favorite movie by any person ever. And uh, James said he was nonplussed. And I said, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Very authoritative voice. There, there's a, a lot of pressure when someone's like, this is my favorite movie of I don't think I said that before the screening started, did I? No, I think you might have. I know that John Waters is very important to you, and I I don't love his early stuff, so I kind of knew I was going to be... Disappointed. Yeah. And you I sort disappoint of you. <laughs> can't disappoint Brandon. But I feel like every time I think of like all of like the John Waters filmographies and I think of Desperate Living, I'm like, I can't believe that's Brandon's favorite. Because I feel like you've told me that like multiple times. You're like, you know, I really like that one. I think that's my favorite. And it's just, it's interesting. Okay. I was rewatching it with y'all in the theater and laughing the entire time because every line is funny. And I was thinking about halfway through this movie. That like it covers every single thing I l- care about as like a topic mm-hmm. in movies, except for witchcraft. Mm. And I had forgotten that towards there- the end, <laughs> Mink Stole cooks up a giant batch of rabies <laughs> in a giant smoking cauldron. Right. Dressed I was like, up- this really has it all. Yeah. <laughs> her and her maleficent kind of outfit is fantastic yeah. too. So it's kind of a fairy tale movie, uh, in half mm-hmm. of it. Uh Edith Massey is an evil queen who rules over a shanty town called Mortville, mm. uh, where all the women who are running from their lives, most of them are convicted murderers, are gathering, and they have no place else to go, so this like one monarch rules over them all. And that half of the movie in the castle feels like the cheapest version of Donkey Skin. Right. You know, like it's like fairy tale <laughs> hour with Shelley Duvall, you know? And then the other half is the part in Mortville where all the murderesses co-mingle and basically become a lesbian uprising and overthrow the queen and yeah it really is like my favorite movie like i don't know i i think it's so funny i love the hand-built sets it's got that kind of wizard of oz thing where everything is so artificial and done so cheaply that like the cardboard sets start collapsing in on people the more anarchic it gets and there's a really funny pro wrestling bit where uh one of the main characters they show I want, to, I want to use uh, he, him pronouns for this person because they end up being trans halfway through the film, but uh, yeah. they show his backstory as a female pro wrestler and he like has this giant uh, rubber vagina on his uh, mm-hmm. chest that he rubs the clit on to like uh, taunt. Wrestling Rita. Wrestling Rita is yeah. the wrestling name. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I just think every line in this movie is funny. All of his movies are always funnier with a crowd. And I'd only seen this one twice with an audience and the last time was maybe 15 20 years ago and both times are off the same dvd copy because there's no better print of it out there 
But I'm hearing less enthusiasm around the room. I don't know. I, I absolutely love Desperate Living. It was great to see it again. I've never seen it in a crowd, but yeah. I've seen it like I've only watched it by myself a couple of times. I like it. It's like probably in my top like six John Waters movies. I don't know. There's something about it that just didn't like connect with me that much as it did for you. But I see like all everything you're saying makes sense of why it's like really good. Um, but I find this to be like the most fucking disgusting thing he's ever made. Oh, it's vile. Like we're like pink flamingos has nothing on this. Yeah. Like something about like what grossed me out and I kind of liked was the eating of the rats mm. where they like, they <laughs> oh, cut yeah. the fur still on it. Like, Oh, yeah. sick. At least take it off. Yeah. That opening, like the opening credits where they have this really elaborate, like, uh, elegant place setting and then yes. they bring the rat out and like cutting off Ugh. these tiny little bites. Ugh, that's Great just gag. fantastic imagery. <laughs> yeah. It does feel like of a piece with Grindhouse filmmaking from around that time. Like, yeah, I eat your flesh. I drink your blood. We, we watched um, Fight for Your Life recently as part of that Video Nasties episode. And it's got that kind of shock value humor to it and also grotesqueness to it where it actually tries to make you squirm in your seat. Mm-hmm. There's some genital gore that's particularly rough to watch yeah but i think it goes a step further and like has like at least the same way that all of his other movies are that it's just so overwritten and every line is just Mm -hmm. like so over the top yeah uh edith massey as the queen with her like (laughs) hurry up hurry up army of of, like leather clad twinks that she has like a gay man's sexuality for like she loves spanking them and sniffing their jock straps this is one of my favorite like edith massey movies Mm -hmm. i know like i think we kind of talked about this after the movie was over with like it's a centerpiece for mink stole for sure like she it's her movie but like edith massey is so fucking good in here and a lot of times except for maybe polyester she's sort of this and she kind of is like more of a side character yeah um but polyester she's she's so funny but her being the main villain you know (laughs) what i mean oh my god I laugh at everything she doesn't says in this movie. She's so perfect. Yeah. I don't have, uh, I actually haven't seen that many John Waters films. I have seen Pink Flamingos. Uh, I have seen Hairspray. So I don't have a wide net of comparison. Um, I thought, I thought it was really, I think the writing was my favorite part. I thought it was very funny. Um, I just have trouble with rape stuff, um, which seems like, that is like a part of, you know, that was a part of Pink Flamingos too. So it's just kind of par for the course. Um, but I also really liked the constructed aesthetics. I love any fairy tale stuff. And I especially love fairy tale stuff that's kind of like contorted and twisted. And I love um, stories about people that like cannot cut it in the real world for whatever reason. Um, so I don't know. I really enjoyed it, but I, it's not, uh, like it's probably not going to be my favorite John Waters. Right. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just such a, like, I love the more refined John Waters stuff, like the serial mom. Uh, I don't know. I like the grungy punk. Mm-hmm. DIY I mean, aesthetic he, of this, but he, he invented and defined that himself, though. Yeah, like, yeah, which is very cool. Yeah, I just personally much prefer when it's like a better production than this is. This is very edge lord. Like I'm watching an episode of Jerry Springer, where I'm, it just kind of washes over me. Like I'm entertained at how vile and nasty it is, but it doesn't have like a lot of heart that some of his later stuff. 
has. I'm, hard, I'm hardened by the like lesbian revolution in the final act, like where they overthrow That's the monarchy. Not, yeah. yeah. Like I really do think there's an emotional center to it. Just celebrating these like people who've <laughs> been like pushed funny, to the margins of society. Right. <laughs> am I am I exaggerating? <laughs> no, you're right. Like I was like, this is kind of I don't remember it really having a core to it watching it. I don't know if being in the theater made me see it but yeah like i thought that was kind of wild like i'm like holy shit is there a message in all of this madness well, it's like all the people who've been thrown away by society and become mm-hmm. literal trash they're dressed in trash yeah. they live in trash they eat trash they shit trash <laughs> like yeah. it's a full trash lifestyle and they come together collectively and overthrow the people that have like marginalized them. I, I think there is like a political core to this one. Yeah. Uh that you might miss for its, you know, rape jokes and uh animal gore and yeah. you know, whatever else happens in it. Yeah, they literally eat the rich. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So. Oh, that's a gross scene too. Yeah. But funny. I'm not going to talk anybody into loving a comedy more than they already enjoy it. <laughs> like, it either you find it hilarious. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, it, it's a lot of pressure when someone is like, hey, come to this movie. It means a lot to me. It's like very oh, important yeah. to the foundation of why I love film. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Like, I, all right. I do think, I mean, I, I do want to say, I think the script was so, so good. There were yeah, like funny. many, many lines that just made me cackle. Yeah. So, yeah. It's it's good stuff. I'll be more blasé in the future. I'm, just like, I'm gonna <laughs> well, become you know, detached. And you jaded. like it or not? Yeah, whatever. Jaded, like, don't earnestly be like, this is one of my favorite movies. Come on down to the cinema. You know, this is a movie that I've seen and whatever. Yeah, I mean, it didn't even make the jump from DVD to Blu-ray. How good could it be? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, the touched it. So <laughs> it's whatever. Well, what else have y'all been watching besides absolute trash in public with me? <laughs> Watch so much garbage. Nothing for this tops episode. that. Oh yeah, we're watching more garbage <laughs> in private. Yeah. Yeah. I have a non-garbage film. It's another Criterion Ooh, movie. Garbage. So I watched uh, Where Is the Friend's House, uh, which was directed by Abbas Kiarostami, who also did Close Up and Certified Copy, uh, which I also really loved. This movie is from 1987, and it is set in this small... Uh, village in Iran. It uh, opens up in the schoolhouse. There are two boys, Ahmed and Muhammad. They're they're probably like eight years old, and um, they're friends. Muhammad uh, gets in trouble with the teacher because they're supposed to do their homework in this like school notebook, and he left his notebook at a friend's house, so he had to do it on loose leaf paper. And the teacher is like, "If you forget to do this again, then you're expelled." So. Um, Ahmed and Mohammed go home. They live in different villages. And when Ahmed gets home, he realizes that he has Mohammed's notebook. And he doesn't know where Mohammed lives. He knows he lives in this other town, but he has to like get this notebook back to him. Otherwise, he can't do his homework in it and he's going to be expelled. So he tries to tell his mother and like let her know that he has to go. And she like, it's not really paying attention to him, says, like, you have to do your homework here. You're just trying to get out of doing your homework. You can go play with your friends later. Like, you have to stay here and get bread from the bakery. And so against his mother's commands, he goes to this other village to find his friend. And th- essentially, the whole movie is him trying to find his friend's house. And he has all of these obstacles, like all of these adults imposing their ideas of discipline and morality on these children in ways that harm them. And this like small child 
just trying to do this good thing for his friend to help him. And like, it's just this gargantuan impossible task. So it's, it's this really simple movie and it is just like so beautiful. Um, I don't know. I cry all the time in movies. This one made me cry a lot. And it's so hard because I want to talk about the ending with everybody that I, that I know. And I can't, I talked about the ending with my mother who usually doesn't care and then she watched it and she was like I wish you hadn't told me the ending of this movie (laughs) so I just like it's like an hour and 20 minutes it is just like such a beautiful compassionate movie I feel like it does a really good job of showing how adults kind of lose the sense of what it means to be a child and like make it harder for children because they know that the world is difficult, like the world is difficult. And so I'm going to teach that as a lesson to children in ways that like can kind of snuff out their goodness. But like, the I don't know, just the persistence of the human spirit. Like, I really don't get like, caught up in really sentimental human will films. But this was really beautiful. I really liked it. So this guy's a good he's a good director. I mean, I, I love the movies I've seen from him. Yeah. So I really want to see this one. Yeah. it's oh, Don't spoil it for me, It's though. so sweet. I won't. <laughs> I keep having it. Whenever I try to talk about it with other people, I have to uh, will, see if you're in the room. I'm going to commit to watching it yeah. so we can discuss it's the ending. Re- it's, very natu- <laughs> it's very naturalistic. Like, it's a little bit slow. I mean, the whole film is just following this child, like, trying to find his friend. But it's, yeah, it's just really beautiful. Um, very compassionate filmmaking. Uh, so that's that's what I watched. And Brittany... What have you been watching? So I've been watching like a little bit here and there. Um, probably the newest movie I've watched lately. I finally got around to watching Bo is Afraid. Uh, oh, yeah. What did you think about it? I really, really liked yeah. it. I kind of went in think because every everyone that I know that has watched it has like said like, you know, oh, it's funny, but it's not. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And then I watched it and I'm like, holy shit, it's like a fucking three hour nightmare. Mm-hmm. But yeah a very good one like i love how like so much of like the it parallels to like nightmares that i've had like especially in the beginning where he's like in his apartment and like all this anxiety of like if i leave it and if i go to do this all this shit's gonna Dude, happen that that first hour in that film our first like half hour in that film is like the funniest thing yeah mm-hmm. to come out this year oh it stressed me out so much the dread of just being alive in this like urban hellscape <laughs> That is most of like the stress dreams I have. Those like I'm trying to get somewhere and do something right. mundane, yes. yeah. and exactly. everything goes wrong. Yeah, yeah. capture that so beautiful. Just like the fear of just walking outside. And yes. What am I going to come across? I, like, I'm not like, having enough change. Like when he's trying yeah, to buy the water, yeah. I'm like, oh my god, that happens to me like every now and then. Where I'm like, oh my god, I'm missing two pennies. What the fuck? Yeah, like, I kind of took it. Like I didn't think about dreams as much, which does I mean doesn't make sense because it is like a very like literally nightmarish story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was thinking a lot about like just exaggerating how suburban conservatives talk about the city. Right. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. We live next to one of the most violent cities in America, and they're like afraid to cross over into Orleans Parish, or yes. like you know people talking about Chicago or San Francisco or wherever else like that homelessness and crime is just like skyrocketing. Right. Like you can't walk outside without getting stabbed I, by I've the stab man. I've seen those videos of like people <laughs> like on fentanyl. They're like z- literal yeah. zombies. You know, it's like urban hell. And then the movie moves on from there. Cause it like, it moves from that to, 
the suburbs with like the Nathan Lane section, which is just as scary, and it's freaky there too. And then <laughs> yeah. he moves on to like the gated communities of the ultra rich at the end with his mother, and like that's also which is scary. Too. Every, scary it was weird. all scary. It's shit. just like a really grotesque map of like yeah. American culture. Yeah, I really enjoy like in the middle of the film the sort of hero's journey storytelling that like it's this play he's watching that morphs into his life it's really cool i kind of zoned out during that part oh that was my favorite part really i it was all over the place for me with this movie but like yeah the middle section was i just feel like it could have been tighter yeah yeah it's a three-hour nightmare yeah uh, you know it's a lot. I, z- I zoned out on that particular part because it reminded me so much of the Michelle Gondry video for Bachelorette, the Bjork song, mm. where like it keeps retelling the same oh, story yeah. in different mediums and like backing out and showing like the play of the stage performance of the like storybook. And like, I don't know, it's just like, oh, I've seen this before. And it didn't take 20 minutes to get it to was this very gag long. last time. Um. So, yeah, saw that. Loved it. Yeah, it's very fun. Loved it. And I also watched this movie called Summer Heat from 1987 mm. it's so trashy it like takes place in the 1930s and it's um laurie singer is married to this tobacco for- farmer and she's like super young she's like really quiet they have a baby together they're like life seems very boring and then this like really hot farm hand comes in and uh, the guy that plays him he's he was in reanimator um mm. bruce abbott he plays like this like hot farmhand that comes out of nowhere and they like make eye contact every now and then and then he catches her alone and they just bang it out and then she starts having this affair with him hell yeah <laughs> and then like it gets to the point where like they've only had sex like maybe two or three times like behind her husband's back and then her husband goes into town and her baby is like walking around unsupervised and they're like giggling and having like a photo shoot with an old ass Polaroid camera. <laughs> and then the baby like walks into the house and then grabs a pot of hot peas and gets all these burns. Oh no! Right. So then like, I think it's th- like that made the husband start to realize like, oh, she's not watching the baby. He was there. They're probably having an affair. And then, like, he kills the husband and, like, grabs her. And then they're on the run. But it, that happens in, like, the last, like, 15 or 20 minutes of the movie. Like, it's just really quick. Like, it happens, like, so fast where I'm like, oh, holy shit, a murder. And then he's like, yeah, I did it. I killed him. She's innocent. And then, like, the movie kind of ends. And it's it's really mm. weird how, like, it wraps up so quickly. I feel like, like, how Bo is afraid is, like, three hours. This movie is, like maybe an hour and 20 minutes it should have been a little longer (laughs) (laughs) need to get into the mess yeah i wanted to get into the mess of the murder um (laughs) kathy bates is in it too i forgot to mention that nice she's her like um her stepmother in it Mm. a young kathy bates love it but yeah it was a a hot summer sweating Mm. movie and i've already done that on the podcast so that goes in with it that, is that the bunch. time of the season yeah. it'll only be more relevant every year because every year will be the hottest summer of our lives <laughs> until we all die and i'll so. find oh, hotter trashier it. movies yeah God, no totally downer it's true though yeah it's yeah it's gonna happen God. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what i've been watching um so james what else have you been watching so i kind of got on this child porn kick what no <laughs> 
Well, like we were just talking about the cops. We were just talking about like cancelable things to say yeah, on the I podcast. I, I intentionally said <laughs> that. Is it all Lifetime it? movies on Tubi? So, no, I did get on this big Tubi kick, and one of them was it's like a made-for TV film from the seventies called Fallen Angel that is on Tubi. Have you seen it? Is that the one where the girls, she's like 15 or 16 and she's like a runaway? Well, she runs away and then she gets like recruited by this pornographer to like come to this house and shoot some film. And it's like, remember it. Is George C. Scott there? And he's like, that's my daughter. Well, exactly. So (laughs) that actually, I picked a different topic for our next episode, but. My other idea was the child porn. Dear Lord, I'm so theme. glad we pivoted. <laughs> well, no, because hardcore. We've already hardcore done that one. Is very, very good. And We've already cool. done oh, yeah. it. Uh, this movie is called Fallen Angel from the 70s, uh, which is a very good made for TV film that like, I felt dirty watching it because it just really tackled the subject in a very honest way. And then I watched. Um, Eight millimeter, Nick Cage. The Nick Cage. Have Have you seen that one? With I don't it's think so. directed by Joel Schumacher. I haven't seen it. It just looks like a bad version of Hardcore, though, right? It is. It, yeah. uh, and it, but it's a lot of fun. Like I actually would recommend it. Like it's Nick Cage going in, and Joaquin Phoenix plays this like dirty sex shop worker guy who like kind of is like bringing him down into the depths of the pornography world of like dirty snuff like cassette tapes and uh it's just like nick cage going into the heart of the beast getting into like snm and kinky bondage stuff and child pornography and snuff films and all the disgusting thing it's like it's a pretty trashy fun movie though so i kind of went on that journey for a while (laughs) i thought you were gonna say the sound of freedom (laughs) The sound. Yeah. What? Yeah. So tell me you're gonna watch the sound of freedom. You talked about it. I did want to see that. I have, <laughs> I have not seen it yet. So to kind of like wash my mouth out from that, I watched Twenty One Jump Street, which I had never seen, which is very funny. I don't know. Oh, with Channing yeah. Tatum. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Jonah Hill. I, I remember that, watching it and being like, "Oh, this was way better than I thought it was." Yeah, be. fucking funny. It's really funny. Yeah. So I don't know. I know there's a, like a weird juxtaposition yeah but (laughs) that's what i've been watching it's uh snuff films and uh channing tatum and john hill before you end up on an fbi watch list i will clarify you're talking about fictional depictions right yes snuff films of child pornography of course come on (laughs) there's a lot of lawyer out there (laughs) (laughs) good lord uh brandon what have you been watching uh i've been to the theater a few times lately been watching a lot of raunchy stuff this end of the summer Ooh. Uh, besides the desperate living screening like <laughs> i don't know i just think it's like worthwhile to mention that because there's been again more discourse about sex on screen and like sex scenes in movies comes up as like a political topic on social media like every three weeks now and yeah desperate living has some like intimate sex scenes in it between women and then uh, i also saw passages mm which has multiple sex scenes in it and is like a queer love triangle story. Um, I'm not going to talk about that one very much. I think y'all would like it. It's like a messy drama about a narcissist who cheats on his husband with a woman and like throws everyone's lives into chaos just for his own pleasure and novelty. Sounds great. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I at least liked how raunchy it was compared to like 
earlier in the year, um, I feel like the last movie that got this kind of like art circle accolades was um, Past Lives and like just didn't mean as much to me as uh, this like kind of messy love triangle version of that kind of drama. Uh, but I think my brain is broken and I don't really care about human dramas anymore (laughs) (laughs) and just like normal movies. And uh, I was a lot more entertained by Bottoms, which I watched Mm. in the theater this weekend. It's a lot of fun. Uh, A lot of the reviews about it are sort of touching on where it falls in the Heathers lineage and like how since Heathers in the 90s, there was a bunch of like pretenders to the throne. You know, there was like... Dropped it gorgeous, Jawbreaker, Sugar and Spice. Mm-hmm. Like there were a few like really mean high school comedies. Yeah, and like ever since then, it's like what's the next Heather's? And I think Mean Girls was supposed to take up that mantle, but I don't think it's nearly cool mm-hmm. enough to like no. even compare. Oh, uh, but it is funny. It is mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, I don't mean to disparage Mean yeah, Girls. Yeah. And I would even say this one gets closer to that. Uh, this is a story about a Fight Club that started in a high school where these two absolute losers. <laughs> Um, who are these, they call themselves the untalented gays in school and they, um, are lesbians who cannot get laid and they want to get laid before graduation. So they start a fight club so they can get with cheerleaders. And I think the meanness is there for Heather's and I get the comparison, but I really want to put out there is that if you like strangers with candy, the TV show with Amy Sedaris, obsessed, that is the humor here. It's not Uh, Heather's humor. It's like this like sort of surreal parallel world where everyone just talks like an absolute dirtbag and says like the worst possible thing you could say at all times but the sheen of the filmmaking is still mainstream comedy yes. filmmaking love it so yeah strangers with candy i think is like the tonal comparison point that like nice. makes a lot more sense to me great stuff yeah you just sold it better than any <laughs> ad do you like heathers i mean is that like not a good pull for you or? no no i i like heathers but i love like strangers that's my favorite with tv show is like my favorite tv show of yeah. all time i think we've <laughs> bonded over that yeah like that humor is it for me so yeah i don't think that the first time you watch a new comedy that it will compare to something you've seen dozens of times and know every line for Fair. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. it, it had a very similar comedic sensibility. I think that's like the biggest hook where I like understood what it was going for. Cool. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to talk about more surreal trash, but not maybe not intentionally surreal. We're, we're really delving into the cheapest possible media. This is we some talk bad about shit. Yeah. We're talk about. <laughs> like the real bad shit. The trenches of trash. <laughs> the trenches. Someone's got to do it. I want to redefine what the main topic was because it was made for TV biopics. Yeah. But I feel like it's more like made for TV biopics specifically about tabloid friendly subjects. Like people who had a lot of like gossip column stuff written about them. And then they were turned into like movie yeah. of the week TV specials. I no, I kind of felt that theme too. And like when we talk about like uh, made for TV biopics, like now that's all that they are. Okay, like Pam and Tommy, oh, yeah. all the Real Housewives. Well, I guess they it's more of like a documentary. But I feel like a lot of biopics, especially from Lifetime. That are cranked out. It's like, what's the hot shit in the tabloids? How can we make a movie in like five minutes? Right. Like, I don't think Lifetime is necessarily going to do like Marie Curie. You know, like they're focusing on people that are like (laughs) hot topics. Right. I mean, it would be great. I would watch it. (laughs) Women in history. (laughs) My Lifetime. Uh, I guess our main criteria was like someone who was actually famous. Yeah. For one reason or another. Not like headline of the week. Right. Like just like a celebrity. Right. 
for whatever reason. So I think inevitably we're going to be talking more about their lives maybe than the filmmaking itself because that's more or less unremarkable across the board. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Okay, we'll see. Maybe. (laughs) And all that's coming up to you right Right now. now. It was her fourth marriage, but by all accounts, Leona Helmsley had never been happier than when she married Harry Helmsley. She had built up a successful real estate career in her own right. But when she married Harry, they were one of the most powerful and wealthy couples in the world. He's a great romancer, and he's brilliant, and he's good-looking, and he's rich. I've got everything with him. Leona and Harry Helmsley were most well-known for their hotels, and for Leona's inclusion in advertisements as the self-appointed hotel queen. The author of a book on the Helmsley says the couple had it all. It was a very successful marriage, and and as a team, they worked well. But things went downhill. The Helmsleys were indicted for not paying their taxes. And while Harry did not have to face charges because of his health, Leona did. I am not going to jail. I've done nothing wrong. I have done nothing wrong. I'm innocent. My only crime is that I'm Leona Helmsley. All right, so theme for this episode is made-for-TV biopics, right? And we kind of talked about how we ended up not specifically, like, we didn't purposely choose for it to be biopics about, like, tabloid-style, like, celebrities, but that's kind of what happened. Um, I really wanted us to watch The Queen of Mean, so I built, like, or I thought of a a theme around that movie. <laughs> Um, so the queen of Mean was a CBS made for TV movie about Leona Helmsley. And I had no idea who Leona Helmsley was until like a few months ago. I like, never heard of her before. Me either. Oh my, never. Okay. So Not my, on my radar, my cousin's obsessed with her. Like she's his hero and he talks about her all the time. And then he like brought up a made for TV movie about her. I'm like, I guess I'll watch it. <laughs> Holy That's shit. What, she, his hero? Yes. What? He's a class trader. You have to know this about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Um, but like him and there's like a few like people in his like social circle that like love her. It's a lot of like older gay men who collect antiques. Mm. Like that's, they all love that's, yeah, that's about right. That's the vibe I got. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. people who would read tabloids. Like you said earlier, the National Enquirer type like celebrity where, you know. Right. She would have been on news clips saying things that are like fabulously mean and flippant. Yeah. yeah. Her energy is very like bitchy gay yeah. man. Queen energy. bitch. Yeah. yeah. And she's got yeah. Lauren Bacall smoky voice. She, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. she would that chain smoke good. all day long, like packs a day. And I think like one of the tabloids um, for her was like rhymes with rich. And it was her face. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just a little background about Leona Helmsley. So she was nicknamed the queen of mean because she was known for treating her staff like really bad and just firing them for no reason. Um, one account that's been like documented is she was having breakfast with someone who was like, you know, a high status. I can't remember his name, but he was like big into like the real estate world in New York city. And a waiter brought them their morning tea and there was like a piece of like some water from the tea fell onto the saucer and she grabbed it and threw it against the wall and like made him beg for his job. Um, she would fire people for having like dirty fingernails. <laughs> like she was horrible. I'm laughing because like this woman reminds me so much of like a real life 
like how mommy dearest was portrayed by like joan crawford mm-hmm. is the same fucking thing the very first shot of this movie is her doing her morning routine like cleaning her face which is also the first scene in mommy, mommy dearest, dearest where joan crawford's like <laughs> dunking her face in the ice baths in the sink like the movie <laughs> so like good. deliberately references mommy dearest like out of the gate yes oh you're totally right i didn't even pick up on that and then you know later a lot of the like drama of mommy dearest is like joan crawford as a businesswoman and like yeah uh the various marriages she got into for it was the guy from pepsi that she married the pepsico yeah yeah so like yes we're doing a lot of pepsico shilling on this podcast recently but she uh (laughs) she would like one of the big lines in the movie is like don't fuck with me fellas where she like takes on the the board and this movie also early on has like leona helmsley being dragged off to jail she's like if I were a man, they would just say I was good at business and exactly. not uh, the queen of mean or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, they, they definitely <sighs> deliberately draw parallels. It's a very good double feature. Yeah. Um, but so this movie was made in like 1990, and Leona Helmsley, also other than being queen of mean, she was a very famous like hotelier in New York City. She was like a fucking billionaire, stupid rich, was famous for being like rich and mean, and yeah, she got arrested for like tax evasion. And she was, like, sentenced to, like, 16 years in prison. She totally didn't serve that, though. She served, like, I think 19 months and then was on house arrest for a couple of months. What was the quote with the uh, only poor people pay taxes? Um, the taxes are for the, yeah, taxes are for the little people. Uh, Said that to her maid. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty. And then to swallow. That's pretty awful. everybody. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty horrible. Um, but very iconic. So this all happened like in the late 80s. And this movie came out in 1990. So this was one of those like really quick, like, let's churn it out. Like it's mm-hmm. hot. Let's make a made for TV movie. Um, I don't know. Like I love this movie and I wish that there would be a better production because like what this movie like doesn't do well is like show like the opulence and like the wealth mm. that like she really fucking had and how like insane it was and also like i wanted more queen of mean quotes and i didn't get as many as i wanted that was my main like i wanted it to be meaner yeah why wasn't it campy like this is quintessential it should have been it gets the high camp but you have to wait until the end it takes a long time to ramp up yeah Yeah, i needed camp the whole way through like (laughs) so it kind of but it starts out where i felt like the movie was trying to like make us empathetic where it's like look she was this little girl who was poor and ignored by her mother (laughs) whatever that's not why we love her though (laughs) she's she's awful like (laughs) right and it's like we we watch her like you know she starts this little thing where she marries like men for their status and wealth. That and reminded me a lot of Babyface, the way she's like fucking oh, her totally. way up the corporate ladder and yeah. like she's marrying her way up the chain. Oh yeah. So she, you know, she. I think she's married twice. Well, actually, she got in real life. She's married four times. Four times. Where she, uh, her second husband, she married him twice. Like I think they got divorced oh. and remarried again. So those two gentlemen, but like she really hit it when she married Harry Helmsley. Mm-hmm. And at that point, she, like, she didn't build, like, she, of course, she was a billionaire because of how who she married. But she had a lot of grit in the way that she worked. Like, she was very ruthless. And I think, like, a mix of her, like, ruthless work ethic and her, like, you know, marrying for, for status and wealth, like, that kind of got her to where she was. Um, so by the time she met Harry Helmsley, she was 
already like a vice president of this like big real estate firm. You know, she was um, bullying people <laughs> to, to buy their apartments they couldn't afford and kicking renters out and making co-ops out of apartment buildings. Um, so pretty terrible. But um, she so Harry Helmsley was married, I think, for like almost 30 years to this very sweet woman. And she like found like, I don't know, like she brilliantly like manipulated this guy into like marrying her. And he kind of like in the movie played by like I think Lloyd Bridges. He's such like a dud where he just I'm like, did this guy have dementia the whole time or something? Just a pushover. Yeah, pushover. And I didn't even mention Suzanne Plachette plays uh, Leona Helmsley in this mm. movie and she is fucking phenomenal. So I've, I know her from a lot of like old school Disney movies that she played in, like the Shaggy DA and stuff like that. <laughs> the ugly, uh, the ugly Dotson, but she did Leona Helmsley so fucking well because she also had that like really smoky voice. That's like very natural. So she's got that Eartha kid thing where yes. it sounds like, a cat who smokes cigarettes and also sells real estate. Yeah. Like she's very feline. So good. But yeah. So once she, she does marry Harry throughout like her time in real estate, she sort of has like this sidekick friend who's like just as sassy as she is. And he kind of goes away and like, she like engulfs herself and all things Harry. Yeah. I, that was interesting because he keeps dropping hints. Like I know all of your secrets and I could, <laughs> right. you know, and like I kept expecting a backstabbing yeah. and then he's just kind of like goes away. I think the whole thing there was just that he knows how awful she is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just recognizes something in her probably because it's also in himself. But he's right. like, right. That's a kind of kind of bitch. I love their relationship. Yeah. Like, yeah. Their friendship in this movie was my favorite part. It felt very genuine. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're a total mean girl. Like, yeah. And I can dish it out too. Like, I, I like their relationship yeah. a lot. They but, had yeah. a real meeting of the souls. They did. <laughs> yeah. They were perfect for each other. Well, once she, like, marries Harry and they start building these, like, massive hotels, like the Harley Hotel and, like, I think Helmsley Place or something, the Helmsley Palace, I can't remember the name of it. Um, I have been looking for, like, remnants of these hotels on eBay and I found hangers and playing cards and all this kind of stuff. Oh, the mm-hmm. playing cards are one of the best scenes so in the movie. So good. But that's kind of when she, like, truly, like, falls into the Queen of Mean, mm-hmm. where you can kind of see it, like... Whenever her mother died and her sister's going through her things and she's like, do you want any of this? And she's like, no, he loves me. Harry loves me. And <laughs> I'm going to have it all. And it's like, they, they just look at her like, what the fuck? Your mom's dead. But I think that's when you start to really see like her cruelness. And then, yeah, once they start building the hotel and you can see how she's like uses people and um, she fire people for bizarre shit. Like there was a security guard who was like, on break using the phone and she's like you're fired and then someone makes a comment to her like this guy has five kids and then she's like it's not my fault he couldn't keep it in his pants well also like the uh, best scene in the movie her no more wire hangers moment is when the staff delivers salad to her business (laughs) meeting and there's some moisture on the lettuce that hasn't been properly like drained And she just screams about wet lettuce for like minutes on end. (laughs) Throws it against the wall. Oh my God. It's very funny. So many parallels to Bobby Darius. As a former salad shop employee, you know, I don't hate dewy lettuce. It's not that bad. You're supposed to spin it a little bit, but you're not going to get all the moisture Yeah, I actually, I kind of agree with her. (laughs) Like the, the lettuce should be dry. If you're having it like as an 
hors d'oeuvre. That's not how you deal with your staff, though. Come on. I don't have staff. I don't know. I don't know how I would deal with <laughs> I, my staff. I don't know if I would be a queen of mean if I had staff. I think you would. I think I might. Yeah. And then her other like big moment like that was the playing cards, which yeah. she approved Ugh. A certain 52 size. pictures of herself, each on a playing card. And uh, when they arrived, they were not the right size. Yeah. They were so too small. Throws them on the ground one at a time and makes her like higher up. 52 card pickup. <laughs> right. Pick it up off they the ground. They didn't listen to her and she wanted them gold gilded on the edges. Yeah. My husband plays P-knuckle. They yes. need to be P-knuckle cards. <laughs> so um, what she did too, like when these hotels were like getting cranked out and built is she kind of had a campaign going on, which reminds me of like, you know, this when she was making the card sets, but there were these advertisements that they would put in like all these magazines and they would, it was feature her. And like one of them was, you know, I couldn't get along without a phone in the bath. Why should you? Or like, <laughs> I don't use, you know, sheets below this thread count. Why should you? And that was like her idea of like, people are going to want to stay. <laughs> she became hotels. part of the brand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's fabulous. I get it. Yeah. So I just, I find her like fucking fascinating. Um, I don't think that she's someone that I idolize, but. <laughs> I hope not. I don't know. I just find her very entertaining. And like this movie does a good job of like giving you a very short kind of, I don't know, like kind of like a whirlwind overview of her life. But so much has happened since this movie. Like, she whenever she was kind of out of prison she was like interviewed by like barbara walters and you know iconic interview where barbara walters is like you know people are accusing you of having your chef um feed you shrimp whenever you would swim in your pool and she's like that's ridiculous um (laughs) just wonderful moments like that and then she ended up she died her will is the best part of her her will is the best part so she died with 12 million dollars and she left nothing to her grandchildren. Oh yeah. <laughs> she left it all to her dog. Yeah. <laughs> and part of like her will too is she still is controlling people because there's a clause in there where she has to get like her tomb cleaned X amount of days, <laughs> certain products a certain way, like forever until the money runs out. And it's Wasn't crazy. It that, like her children had to visit her gravesite in order to get her like grandkids. Grandkids to get any yeah. sort of inheritance. Also, or, the judge yes. like cut out the $12 million yeah. for the dog. It was like, no, that's this not is tenable. Yeah. <laughs> We're breaking this up into like a charity uh, or something. So, yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm looking forward to like Queen of Me part two. Queen well, of it me seems like two. this came out too soon. Because yeah. like this was striking while the iron was hot and it was like hot off the tabloids. So after she went to prison, this movie came out. Yes. And like, yeah, a lot more developed after that. It reminded me, we watched that movie, uh, A Woman Scorned, the Betty Broderick yes. story, which was a two-part made-for-TV movie, yes. and like half of it came out before the trial, and then the other half came out after the trial, covering what happened. Well, mm-hmm. she was, yeah, because it focused on her prison time. Yes. On that second and part. this really needed the part two oh, God. of like Leona Helmsley, like after arrest. It did, it did feel a little too much like a Wikipedia by the numbers. We're just hitting the points of like her life. In a way that, like, if you don't know why she's famous, which it sounds like none of us did. No, I had never heard of her before. Like, when you're watching it and you don't know, the first hour is so confusing because characters are like, that's your problem. You want too much. 
I'm like, what is she known for? Like, what is like, <laughs> like it's just very ambiguous right. um, motioning yeah. towards things that everyone is supposed to know. And if, it, if you're interested in watching in the first place, it tries place. to do the wraparound too, where at the beginning it's her going to court and then she's like in the bathroom yelling at people, and you're like, what is going on? And it also does her a disservice because, from what I've learned reading about her life, like she actually was successful on her own. But the film makes it seem like no, she just attached herself to men, and like that's a strategic move, though. But I, yeah, I'm like but that's kind of a little both. Like cool. the, yeah, the movie makes it like no, it was just like the men right. were powerful, but like no, she actually like got shit done in her own yeah. Like, I feel business like life. I feel like I felt from the movie that she did that, that she was like very successful, and that hooking up with these men was just another tactic. But the plot point of the film is like, she married this guy, then she moved but to the this guy. But the men are so ineffectual and don't mean anything to yeah. the movie, though. Like, it, it just follows her around. And I guess, too, like, the men in the movie, like, you don't ever see them, like, actually doing anything and working. They and get she's... fed and pampered like toddlers. Like, right. they don't actually do anything. Right. And I just looked at it as her being like, yeah, a bunch of fucking idiots. Like, I work hard and I'm smarter than you. Like, right. yeah. I'll just... I actually, <laughs> I had the opposite feeling that you did that, but I, so I knew nothing about Leona Helmsley, but I feel like I was locked in on her immediately. I was like, <laughs> I know what you want and I know who you are. <laughs> I, and I love movies about like, I, I love people that are so audacious that they just like fucking lie their ass off and are completely ruthless, like you said, to get what they want because it is just the opposite of the way that I understand life to be. It's like this kind of vicarious thrill. So she was like, she just seemed evil to me, but I was like completely astounded yeah. by her from I mean, beginning to end. The title yeah. tells you that she's famous for being mean. <laughs> yeah. And for not like, you know, obeying social conventions. Right. I was just like waiting for it to happen. Yeah. And I think once it gets there, it's very satisfying. Like her, yeah. her snapping at the staff. The yeah, it, it takes it could have it could have been meaner though. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that mean. And she was meaner. Yeah. Yeah. It does yeah. take a long time. I feel like they spend the first two thirds like okay this is who she is and they're laying down the plot points of like this is where she starts and these are the brass tacks of how she's getting there and then once she's at the top Mm -hmm. she has free reign to be mean and all of the rest of her characterization is just like her being shitty to people and it's funny yeah it's great like but what she she's like in the hotel and then she drops the rag and like coughs at her attendant to like <laughs> with her shine her shoes oh wow yeah. yeah so good disgusting but i think this is the thing with like tv made for tv movies especially like when it's a movie about someone's life is there's never enough time yeah it's always it always feels rushed and we see that theme with a lot of the one pretty much everything i think yeah. we're gonna talk about today um but that in some way makes it trashy in a really fun way where it's like i know i could put any one of these on and have just like fun mindless mm-hmm. well, you know tv of, watching experiences a lot of which them I like would have been and maybe even more so now are like multi-part yes episodes things. yeah like yeah three night events you that, know that's exactly what i was thinking like i feel like the elizabeth holmes thing would it could have mm. been a lifetime movie but was like made into a mini series right and that's a great format for if those. If we can get a Queen of Mean miniseries yeah. starting like Patty Lapone, I, <laughs> watching, I would literally die. Yeah, watching all these films, I was just thinking about like if you tried to put 
my life or anyone's life into a biopic boring <laughs> yeah an hour and a half thing like and you try to make it sensational it would still be like pretty boring i mean the snapping is pretty iconic in this and like her personality mm-hmm. traits come across yeah. i think this hits what you want out of this kind of movie more yeah. so than anything else we watch because mm-hmm. like what you want are the little character moments you don't really care about the story. You already know the story. You know what they were famous for. Yeah. You want to see the little idiosyncrasies and like how they talk and how they act. And Suzanne Plachette is a pleasure to watch in this in a way that like no one else is. So great. None of the performances in any of the other movies like come well, close to this. But in some of the other movies we're going to talk about, it does cross over into the, it's so bad that it's like you're enjoying the car crash yeah. kind of thing. This one is just like, I guess pretty well done. Too like, competent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's competent. It's like an, a well-acted... Um, CBS did something well. But some of the other ones we're going to talk about are really, really awful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like some of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Flaming Hot Bad. You know? <laughs> it burns, burns good. It burns, burns bad. bad. <laughs> it burns bad. <laughs> about you going on Letterman's Netflix show. Has I, been, I, don't, I, don't know if I don't hear all the talk. I don't know. I mean, if somebody might be talking about it. I, I, I'm not aware. Have of they it. asked you to be on no, the show? No, I, I would like to see I that. I would love to see that. I want to get into the nitty-gritty yes. of all this. Well, yes. you guys don't have the show. So right. yeah. <laughs> if, if he asked They're you... They're probably to, going, what have you ever been on Andy Cohen's show? If he <laughs> asked you to go on that show, would you go sure, on? Sure, i go on. You Why would? Yeah. yeah. When was the last time you talked to him? Oh, I think it was probably near the end of both our shows. I think we just called, you know. Yeah. You know, the, the idea that we don't hate each other. Right. The media makes a big thing about it. I am a huge fan. You know, when I started, Letterman was a great wordsmith. He could put things together, but he's kind of a hesitant performer. I was a very loud, boisterous performer, but I wasn't that good a writer. So I would watch him and go, oh man, how do you put those sentences together? And he watched me, but how could you be so confident on say? So I think we sort of took from each other a little bit. All right, my biggest question with like all of these movies, watching them was like, did this need to be a movie? Hmm. Like, <laughs> can this subject justify 90 minutes to two hours? And I don't think the answer is yes to any of them. <laughs> but... I do have a personal blind spot, which is the one that I picked, and that this subject does not deserve a movie about it, but it meant the world to me in the 1990s <laughs> when this movie was made. So, like, I am the problem, I think. Like, providing an audience for this kind of, like, tabloid material to become a feature film, this is the subject that, like, I'm nerdy enough about to have, like, justified existence. I disagree that this is the most interesting subject of any of the films. Mm. The late, I don't know. The late night stuff is like extremely interesting. There's tons of books written about it. It's fascinating. I don't know if it makes a good movie. But is it interesting? It's like millionaires fighting over a job. Right. Fighting over an hour. Right. I think. I know. I get it. It's interesting in the sense now, because I haven't watched this before, that it felt like this time capsule of how yeah. like how big of a deal it was like to be back on then, late night yeah to get certain time slots and be on like late night shows like i forgot how crazy it was but it was 
I forgot how much like Johnny Carson meant to like my parents. Yeah. Like you grow up with someone in your like living room putting you to bed every night. Yeah, the monoculture for late night television for like Johnny Carson or even Jay Leno or David Letterman to matter that much right now is non-existent. Like yeah, everything's dead. so fractured across the internet yeah. and streaming that like this kind of thing, even like the Daily Show in the 2000s, like n- nothing is that important That was anymore. sort of the last yeah. gasp yeah. of this kind of thing. So this movie's called The Late Shift and it's from 1996. Uh, it covers, I believe, like from the early 90s, maybe up to 92, of Johnny Carson exiting his late night spot, um, The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson. And who was going to succeed him on the throne? Was it going to be Jay Leno, who is a stand-up comedian who was on the late night circuit and would hit every one of those talk shows? And also would be the regular guest host on nights when Johnny couldn't work. Like if Johnny took the night off, Jay Leno would be the host. Or was his successor going to be David Letterman, uh, who had the time slot after him, when The Tonight Show gets a little weirder? The Late Show with David Letterman mm, was yeah. like the surreal afterthought. And when he vacated that spot after the drama and here, Conan O'Brien took over his slot, which is what I grew up with, was the early days of Conan after this kerfuffle. And like for the longest time, because I grew up with uh, broadcast television, like Conan O'Brien and SNL, both on the seasons he wrote, his show, and he also wrote for The Simpsons mm-hmm. and it's like golden era, like defined comedy to me and like taught me what is like funny, smart humor. So I really was like invested in like the background politics of who writes this stuff and like the time slots and like mm-hmm. the prestige of having the 10 p.m. slot versus the 11 p.m. slot. And now I'm watching this in my 30s going like, who gives a shit? They're all millionaires. <laughs> yeah. Like. Boo-hoo, David Letterman got pushed out of a job he wanted and instead had to take a different lucrative job one uh, channel click over. Like, it's so ego-driven, too, where yeah. it's like, I want the prestige of being the late-night host. It's like, what does it fucking matter? Like, And it's all like negotiating contracts with millions of dollars at stake. The entire movie is contract negotiations yeah. start to finish. But I, I like it. Like, I don't know. Like, I know that's not appealing to people nowadays, but, like, I find this so fascinating. Like, the showbiz uh, backstage stuff. I actually was very interested in the contract negotiation stuff because in my job, things have to be written very precisely. And if they're not written precisely, it can have huge implications. And I loved to see the background of like, okay, this is the contract that Letterman is in. It's a shit contract. So how do we tiptoe around the legal definitions and like what is specifically stipulated in the contract to get him what he needs and wants? Like that was really fun stuff for me. But like, okay, the movie starts with this like, believe it or not, these things actually happened. Uh, yeah. Like, title card. And to me, it's like, I very much believe yeah. it. This is, like, totally <laughs> credible is, stuff. Right, this seems par for the course. And it feels very in step with something we've been complaining about with, like, 2023 movies, and it's the year of the brands, where, like, it's all these brand crisis movies about Frito-Lay and, like, mm-hmm. Gran Turismo mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> you know, Nike or whatever else. And it's just, like, not that interesting how these millionaires are going to make their millions of dollars. But it is interesting because I'm a comedy nerd and like I followed yeah. this stuff when it happened. And it's also got a more robust budget because it's not a straight to streaming thing. It's straight to TV. Yeah. Especially. And HBO. Oh, it's not TV. It's HBO. You're right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 
you know, the Leona Helmsley movie and this one have a more robust budget and production mm-hmm. value. And this one especially has like movie stars in it, like Bob Balaban and Ed Beckley Jr. Um, the two main actors, John Michael Higgins, famous for, I think, Arrested Development was like his biggest role. He plays like the no-nonsense lawyer. And he's playing David Letterman in this gotcha. and does a fucking phenomenal job. Yes. Like, he is Very great. Good. Yeah. But the other guy, <laughs> the other guy, oh Daniel God. Roebuck playing Jay Leno, so bad, <laughs> so awful. And they put this grotesque uh, prosthetic <laughs> chin. No, it, it oh really just God. takes away from the film. Like his performance is. He was so like, like this quiet goober. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, no, he's just like, like yeah, I'm Have you seen this? you heard about yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to do the show. He's trying to do Leno and everyone does a bad Leno anyway. Like he's a very hard person to nail, but I think he slips into Adam Sandler, like mush mouth. Like he ends up yeah. doing like an Adam yes. Sandler caricature, not Jay Leno. It was so wild. Yeah. He, to me that performed like, he seemed like a child. He was just like totally out of his depth. And maybe that's how but, Jay Leno is. And like his I think model that is was kind Kathy of Bates. how Leno was okay. back in the, like eavesdropping on these meetings and like that stuff did happen. So yeah. I think he kind of nailed it from that perspective. They like, kind of accurately portray him as a coward and like a company man. Yeah. And I think that's the character's, that's what he characterization is, is like. <laughs> David Letterman is a very good, smart comedy writer mm-hmm. and a very timid performer who's very hard on himself. And Jalen was a very competent, confident performer without the brains to back it up. And like he yeah. comes from a circuit comedian, like Vegas style thing where like his job is the delivery and he hires writers yeah. to write the material for him. And it's just from a different, honestly, like Johnny Carson era mm-hmm. world of like stand up comedy. And David Letterman is more of the like front lines of that um, sort of George Carlin style that's more popular now. And like, who cares? <laughs> like the distinction <laughs> I, among I them is not fa- well, that it's interesting. Fascinating though. I think what sells it is the the main movie star who really like, runs away with the movie is Kathy Bates as Jay Leno's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like sort of bulldog lawyer who like yeah goes into these meetings with these men and like kind of oversteps her place in hollywood because she wants to be seen as a powerful person and i think every single one of these movies and this is the least likely one you think you'd find it in but like all of them are about powerful women asserting themselves in business and telling men what's going to happen and then sort of like being judged for that or like taken for granted for that but still getting their way kathy bates really goes over the top with like her negotiations in this um History has made it so that her character does not get her way in the long run. But she was like very fun to watch early on when she was just like arguing for Jay while he was kind of cowering behind her. Yeah, like I thought like she was the most memorable character out of like everyone, like even Jay Leno and like Letterman. Like for some reason, I kept like kind of forget, especially Jay Leno. I just kept forgetting about him. (laughs) He has something. (laughs) Like it did make me interested in like the Conan Leno mm-hmm. thing yeah. that happened after yeah. the fact, like, and that's not anything to do with the movie. But, we need a movie about that. But at least, like, it's a thought provoking that idea of like the late night time slot and the prestige that comes with being the new Johnny Carson. And I feel like there needs to be a lifetime movie that's about Conan and Jade Leno. I think that would be even less interesting. Like, I, th- I feel like the story there is even less compelling. 
unless you do like a Jay Leno's life story from like when he first started to both of those conflicts. The, yeah. The Conan thing was just like he wouldn't give up the job. Like he like overstayed his welcome. No, it's like he gave up the job and he was like, I'm going to do a show that comes on an hour before you, but then your ratings aren't good. So I'm going to take back right. the show that I gave up originally, like a lot of murky contract stuff. And ultimately it's unlikely any of that was his idea. Cause he's a company man and just follows the rules and like works well with management. And that's the whole conflict of this is like a company man versus a true artist, which mm-hmm. is how David Letterman is portrayed um, and probably could have his own behind the scenes movie because he's yeah. uh, since gotten into trouble with how he seduced multiple members of his staff under him. But that's it. It's that's another tabloid story. story. I didn't like, know that. Yeah. Of like, I don't know. He got in front of the kind of news story and was like, yep, I totally uh, I've slept with people on my roster and yeah. Someone was going to blackmail him to go public with the yeah. story, and he uh, worked with police to catch the blackmailer and just put all his shit out in the open. Yeah. So, yeah, even that story's kind of deflated. I actually don't think this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I do. I think it's very interesting. Okay. But was the movie interesting? Does it live no, up to the subject? the movie's not yeah. interesting. I liked the David Letterman's, like, agent lawyer character. I thought all that stuff was fascinating, just because I think it's fun how people, like, navigate the legal system and i really liked i I don't know i like letterman and i enjoyed seeing him portrayed in this movie like i it just made me feel compassionate for him all over again i was also not aware of uh what he did with his staff members yeah he had multiple staff members that he like slept with uh, yeah he's their boss which is never like right great yeah (laughs) no like an abuse of power with the little power that he did scrap together totally yeah, I don't know. This movie's like very bland. It's like competent, kind of like what James was saying about the Leona Helmsley movie. Like, it's well made. It's maybe the one that feels the most like an actual movie. It's an actual conflict. Yeah. Here. And they all of these films range from like the biopic of like, this is what happened and we're trying to represent this as accurately as possible to like, this is the fantasy of this person's life Mm -hmm. brought to screen. And this was definitely like a more or less, I mean, there was definitely editorializing, but it was more or less just like, these were the details of the situation. And I mean, I think there's even like kind of an end title card that the conflict in the movie ultimately like, kind of doesn't matter it's like letterman wins in the end but in the long run uh jay leno is the top dog i think what really like drove home to me that this doesn't matter at all was like the press conferences and the boardroom meetings where there's this like puzzle about the nbc fall lineup mm-hmm. and all this like color blocked <laughs> oh i loved watching that and they like move it around like little tetris pieces yeah. like where are we gonna fit this show in yeah. the lineup and yeah. who's gonna fill this slot and looking at that board, I'm like, this really does not matter to anybody who doesn't work for NBC. If I was old enough to have a job like that back then, I would have wanted that. That would have been so much fun. Just the magnet. Uh, it's almost like whiteboarding your TV schedule. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's an app right now that'll do that for you. Oh, you want to plan out your week. I'm also just fascinated by how much of a difference an hour makes or half an hour where like that is a part of like we're going to put you at 1030 and that's going to give you a half hour jump over these people. Like I love how much that matters in the business. Uh, 
Conan was fucking right. Like his whole Tonight Show thing, like they wanted to push him back to midnight, essentially. And it was like, no, like Tonight Show happens after the news. Right. Like the news happens at 10 and then Tonight Show 1030. That's how it's always been. And they try to push him to make room for Jay Leno. He's like, fuck that. So I don't know. I got into the dirty politics of late night time slot kind of stuff. Yeah. And in addition to what you were saying, Brandon, about how it's like so fractured now, I think those time slots matter less because so much of it is just like on YouTube. YouTube the next yeah, day. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like, oh, the top whatever, five moments from Conan last night. It's like you already have the highlight reel. The closest thing I watch to this now is John Oliver. And it's yeah. like, I catch up with it if and when I do. Right. And not like appointment viewing yeah. at 1030 at night on a Sunday. <laughs> but isn't like SNL kind of like that? I watch SNL. But it's like a specific time frame of like 1030. It's like mm-hmm. after the news, like it's Saturday, you know, it's the weekend. That's kind of like what a lot of these like late night talk show things used to be like. It fits into a certain time frame. And I will say SNL is more fun to watch if you're mildly buzzing home early on a Saturday, <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. to watch the way Hannah's saying next day, which is how most people see it. It's like broken up into chunks on YouTube. Yeah. Like there's something about the communal it's an monoculture keeping up with what's on America's minds that week. Um, yeah. And it's like got hints of surrealist humor if you say yeah. it for the later sketches too. Here is my bud as I lean against the wall. One of my favorite sketches <laughs> in the past 15 years. Great stuff. Yeah. Scarlet my killed bud, it. What, what, my bud. <laughs> If I'm going to walk back anything I said earlier uh, about these not being interesting topics, um, I think I have to do it with the next movie, which was James's pick. But I don't know that the movie tackled the most interesting things about the topic. Interesting. Okay. So this is definitely the worst film, I think, of all the ones we're going to talk about. This one is criminal. Yes. I, I think I told Hannah, like, as we were watching, I was like, this film shouldn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is... Like criminal. Why like, they I have actually to do wanna, like that? I want to lock up the people that made this. <laughs> uh, one of them is the subject of the last movie. <laughs> with yes. the exact right. producers. <laughs> I cackled so hard when I saw her name pop up. <laughs> no, and I remember like, so I picked the Aaliyah film, the Lifetime film, which I forgot that like Aaliyah's plane crash happened the same year as 9-11. Like it happened a month before we had that double trauma of like Aaliyah's plane crash and then terrorism. Bad year for air travel. Yeah, really yeah. bad year. For- <laughs> Was that the most offensive thing I've said on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Uh, and I, I don't know. Like, I guess I like Aaliyah's music pretty good. Um, this Lifetime film has two major knocks against it. The first one is that they didn't really have the rights to any of <laughs> Aaliyah's music except for a couple covers. So they like allude to her image and certain videos and stuff. There's a reason for that. Okay. Her uncles, she's like a Nepo baby. Her uncles yes. own the record companies yeah. that she recorded for. So they own all the rights to her music. Right. So they can block any project they don't want evoking her. And they did. And they and did, it, yeah. In this film, <laughs> rightfully so. I yeah. mean, it's a bad movie, but the little like songs that you do get are these what she did a cover yeah, of, of a Marvin um, Gaye song. A Marvin Gaye so, song. 
my favorite Aaliyah song is a cover, and she did it for the Anastasia soundtrack. Oh my and it was like oh, Journey the to the Past, and she, it played a little bit, and I was like, fuck One yes. There is a scene where she performs an Anastasia song at the Oscars in this, yeah. yes. where I really just wanted, I wanted anything it. else so, to happen. Yeah, I wanted minutes. to turn it off. If y'all it was so it, fucking bad. It was the, dead air. The oh music God. video for it, like, it brings in the animation. Like, she's on the streets in New York, in this, like, jumps it's like khaki jumpsuit singing and then like winter scenes from anastasia pop mm. in the background randomly i mean it's a I beautiful l- thing i have to say i love that movie yeah okay so the first crime okay they don't have the rights to the music the second crime is that r kelly who we all know is you know a predator rapist, predator <laughs> pedophile guy. whatever yeah like the way he's presented in this movie like kind of sympathetically and it's really gross he's like a romantic lead yeah yeah it's really gross and weird and so i don't know this whole movie was bad and it made me feel icky and this is one of the worst things i've watched in (laughs) a long time like really a long time third crime a third crime casting (laughs) <laughs> oh right. yeah well we can there are tons of famous too. people in this movie none of them look anything like <laughs> the people they're supposed to be playing right i think zendaya was supposed to play Aaliyah. dodged a bullet yeah she was like i'm gonna back out of this yeah. like there's a lot going on Who and played i think missy elliott oh the missy i think that was her playing herself oh, yeah, oh yeah, they, they did get missy elliott that was a, another thing to like the way that I, I guess we'll have to get into it, but like the way Ali is presented, like she's this very business savvy. She's telling she's like 14, Missy and right. Timbaland like how to produce records and get the fuck out. That of was here. actually that's, my number one crime with the movie. That's a crime. Okay, number two after the R. Kelly thing because that's really that's egregious. The, the R. Kelly bad. thing is gross. The worst. Okay, but every single idea that is presented to Aaliyah, she is an expert on in this yes. movie. They're like, oh, you know that Meg Ryan movie, Anastasia? She's like, oh, yes, I've seen that a thousand times. Oh, we're going to do an animated remake of that. Or like... (laughs) Or the Romeo Must Die bit, too, where she's like, no, I want to act in like like how she was telling them what movie she was going (laughs) to act in. And then they're like, what's going to be your next role after Romeo? And she's like, actually, they're adapting my favorite book, which is Queen of the Damned by Anne Rice. I don't (laughs) believe that for a fucking second. No fucking (laughs) way. But that, I mean, there's quotes out there that say that is a fact. Okay. I don't believe it. No. And then, no yeah, way. like, uh, she, like, talent scouted Missy and Timbaland herself right. after all the thousands of right. producers. Yeah, she hadn't, like, broken through <laughs> to the mainstream, and she's like, oh, let me get these underground producers to make my record. Like, they were already established in the game. Like, they were hit producers. They didn't have, like, platinum success, but it just, that scene really bothered yeah, me. Yeah, they're so insecure in that scene. They, like, play her a track, and then she's quiet for a minute and they're like you didn't like it did right. you get the fuck out <laughs> Timbaland is not like that like Timbaland's like I know this beat is fucking sick wait, no, wait. Oh. one more one more her mom like uh, styles her hair over her left oh, eye yeah. which is a pretty iconic look and she's like you know like Veronica Lake and she's like oh yeah just like that that's so cool why would this like 19 year old R&B yeah. singer know who Veronica Lake is 
She's yeah. an old soul. Okay, fine. <laughs> she Expert reads, on all topics. She reads and writes. Look, she's not around to d- dispute <laughs> anything I'm saying right now. I know. So it does feel <laughs> weird where it's like, I'm pretty sure even if they made these decisions on quoted things from her, like I'm pretty sure they were like, tell everyone that Queen of the Dam is your favorite book. Right, right. right. It's a PR move. Right. Yeah. I think, But a lot of it, I think, was that. It just kind of sucks mm. that she's like dead. Yeah. And now it becomes the myth of our times. <laughs> right. Aaliyah, the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a very tragic story with Aaliyah. Like, I think the film had good taste to not show her tragic plane crash. <laughs> that is like the bare necessity. I, I think that there, I think that that there is, is a difference between good taste and and the worst taste. Right, right. The worst possible taste <laughs> in the world. Cruel taste. Right, exactly. Or like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't. This movie's fucking garbage. It's bad. This is garbage. This is definitely the Wikipedia bullet point movie. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I don't think it would be that remarkable if it weren't for the R. Kelly thing. And like the way it's presented, she's 15 when he meets her, which is true. And he whispered away for a secret wedding behind true. her parents' backs. That which happened. Is true. Her parents got it annulled and kept her away from him. True. Good job. And then the depiction from there is very nebulous where it's like in the movie's version of events she was still romantically like on the hook and never got over it mm-hmm. and the heartbreak continued bullshit, on though. and in real life she like wouldn't talk about it to anybody so no yeah. one knows what her feelings were on yeah it. no but her feelings seem to be very negative like r kelly's a bad man is the only thing she would yes, say she would say yeah. that so the film presents it like oh my long lost love like star-crossed lovers they tore us apart in reality like she was like, that guy was a fucking monster, and we're, I'm glad to be away from him. Do y'all think that they were trying to do that to show how, like, she was so young and naive that Maybe. he knew that, like, she would sort of, like, worship him in a sense? Because, like, I'm this, like, big, powerful but, dude. Man, but the they film don't, wasn't trying to yeah, do anything. They don't <laughs> show him. Be giving to do shit. Much yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> they don't show him as manipulative. Right. And, like, her final assessment of him is basically like it's hard for me to get over him it's not like he was doing these things again you know it's like he is seen as this romantic guy and then he's kind of gone from the film and she's like i can't get over him it it doesn't ever go into like but in real life she has said like that's a bad dude i don't want to talk about him right so the film never says oh wait no he was a piece of shit if anything it goes further we're like they have a discussion about you know she's fearing her second album not being as good because you know timbaland and missy are like not as like um established of producers and then her mom is like consoling her and she's Mm -hmm. like you know r kelly did his thing on those tracks but other producers can work with you too (laughs) i know and like her mom gives props to her abuser which i feel like is really egregious like a lot of the details drop my jaw like i did not remember that age ain't nothing but a number was the name of the album he produced from her. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. I remember that song very vividly. Yeah. And I didn't understand the context of it. Exactly. When I was younger, I'd be like, yeah, totally. You know? <laughs> I'm <laughs> 15, true. I'll fuck who I want. It's true. <laughs> right. But that, that's what, so much of this film felt like, I felt gross. Like, yeah. yeah. It seems like, okay, we're doing a biopic, but it's not even a straight like Wikipedia it's like coloring it in a way that makes it even grosser than what the actual yeah. story or like not like not really tackling the nuance of what her story really was. Like she was a really good 
R&B singer. Great vocal range. Great vocal cool range. style. She died yeah. tragically. And then the film like does her a disservice where I'd like her music less after seeing it. Like her story is less. No. You, you know what I mean? Like a biopic should hype someone up. Like Jay Leno. Yes. <laughs> right. But like what if so- what if like someone or some p- folks who were like who made this movie made it not to honor Aaliyah but to like show how not bad of a guy R. Kelly was? Like what if that's the conspiracy behind well, it? That's especially egregious for a <laughs> I network. I mean it didn't work. They're that network that aired the surviving R. Kelly series that like <laughs> yeah. broke down yes. the whole saga. Hey, whoopsie. Like, what is, what is yeah. happening? Right. Which I didn't realize was three seasons long. I thought that was like a single. I remember watching two series. episodes and I was like, I can't. No, that's I, I didn't even lot. touch it when it came out. But three yeah. seasons of episodes breaking down just how evil and R. Then Kelly was. A made for yeah, TV you movie put this that makes shit yeah. seem like an okay. That's guy. what I'm saying. Like this movie yeah. made me angry. Like yeah. it's unethical. Like I hate to even call a movie unethical, but this is one. Like it's bad. It shouldn't exist. It did a disservice to Aaliyah. And somehow made R. Kelly like a victim in a weird way. Of parents who don't understand. Right. Of parents yeah. who don't understand. And like it didn't feature any of her real music. So what are we doing here? Like this was a travesty. Yeah. Sounds like they need to dust themselves off and try again. <laughs> <laughs> I kept thinking of Aline when I was watching this because I oh, think yeah. there is something interesting about a biopic that where you don't really get sign off from the person you're making it for or their family and so like Aline was in that situation and so they made this kind of like faux Celine Dion character while still telling the story of Celine Dion and then Aaliyah is like the Aaliyah story but it wasn't signed off by her family and Aline is so clearly the passion project of somebody who loves Celine Dion, who is like dedicated to honoring that person. And this film, it it felt like a, like you were saying, like a disservice, like it was not getting at the heart of who Aaliyah was and it wasn't trying to, it wasn't capable of doing that because it's like, if, if you can't get the rights to any of the music of this person, I don't know. Like that should be a first don't sign, make it. right? Exactly. <laughs> and, but like, if you do make it, do like Alien or Aileen, right? That was like a, f- a fabulous movie, right. and I think yeah. we all liked it. Yeah. And it's like it right. was coming from heart. Yeah. It was yeah. like I passionately love this artist. This was not. No one gave a shit about Aaliyah. Yeah. And <laughs> no one gave a shit about Aaliyah when yeah. they were making this movie. It was a complete exploitation of her mm. tragedy and what yeah. she meant to other people. And it wasn't it wasn't honoring her at all. And one of the people who has to answer for these crimes <laughs> is also uh, yes. the subject of our final yes. film. Okay. So my- Good segue, <laughs> Okay. My selection was Wendy Williams, the movie. Uh, released in 2021, which was directed by Darren Grant, who also directed Diary of a Mad Black Woman. And I picked this movie because I I know who Wendy Williams is, but I have no other context for her. Well, I've, she was the executive producer in Aaliyah, right, the Princess right, of right. R&B. That was primar- <laughs> primarily so what I know sense. her for. <laughs> of um, course she was. Yeah. So I know that she is reviled and... 
I feel like I, it's like everything I learned about her, I, I just kind of like shuttle out of my brain. So I, I was like, I, I felt like I had to do some homework. So uh, Wendy Williams has done a lot more than I thought she did. Uh, she started off as a DJ in D.C. She was she was in a couple of different cities and then she moved to New York and she kind of turned from a DJ into like a shock jock radio host and became more and more famous I think became more and more known for her interviews with celebrities and like kind of confrontational interviews. And then eventually she had like a reality TV show about her radio show with Charlemagne. And then she became a television host. So she has really become like a multimedia mogul. She also wrote a book. I don't know. I was expecting (laughs) to hate this movie and to hate wendy williams and i feel like i still don't like wendy williams because i still don't know very much about her but i did not hate this movie unfortunately and i i feel like a bad person for it um it really focuses on less on her like work controversies like her actual interviews and more on her career milestones and her personal struggles like her dealing with coke addiction (laughs) kind (laughs) of i mean it's 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 in there um alcoholism uh infidelity many miscarriages whatever kevin's Kevin's awesome. Kevin's a dog. Dude, (laughs) Kevin is such a good partner. No, he's not. (laughs) Why do I have an opinion on this? (laughs) He made a fool of her. Yeah, but uh, he was there. Yeah. Anyway. So, so, I mean, I feel like this is a, it's another Wikipedia movie, but I feel like the performances are honestly pretty good. Yeah. Um, Sierra Payton plays Wendy Williams, and I thought that she actually did a great Yep. I thought she was great. Brandon, I, I know you can't see Brandon, faces Brandon, on this podcast, but your Brandon face is, is scowling. Even whenever wrong. she had the, whenever she like, she committed so much that yeah. when they had the Wendy getting her implants and she had those massive Huge. knockers, fun scene. Yeah, I love that. But she, I thought she did a great job with the accent yeah. and like. Yeah portraying her like confidence this this is the best film by far <laughs> no this yeah. is like barely better than the Aaliyah movie for you're me you're kidding me i really did not like this and wendy even makes an appearance at the end she does she gives it her I, blessing okay the the sorry so, i'm not trying to hijack okay. but i'm doing kevin <laughs> kevin and wendy's relationship in this film like kind of brought me to tears like the way he was like a gangster mm-hmm but like he was still there for her and like a solid rock and their performances were very good. <laughs> Brandon, I is mean, I'm trying not to jump in prematurely here, but like, no, <laughs> <laughs> like just no. Wendy Williams is a loud, boisterous, distinct personality. Yeah. This performance is like 10% watered down Wendy Williams. And if you're going to do this style of movie where, like, she styled her entire career after Howard Stern, and when he did his version of this movie, he played himself in the film because who could possibly replicate how we know him and, like, what makes him chaotically entertaining? And, like, there's no one that could have played Wendy Williams. I don't think this person even gets close 
to what makes her an entertaining person. No one could do it, but she. I think she did a pretty stellar job. I think she did a good job. Terrible I, accent, not entertaining. I hate Juiceless performance. <laughs> no, I hate Winnie Williams. I like that it was like ten percent of Winnie Williams. Then what's Wendy the point Williams of this? You feel like Wendy Williams shouldn't be watching I, Wendy Williams like, the movie. I don't. I don't care about. <laughs> I like Wendy Williams. I just. I watched her show that's, for years. The whole time I was like, Every why am day. I not watching Wendy Williams right no, now? She's I, fun to watch. It made me want to go to watch reruns. I just saw it like. I don't care about Wendy Williams. So just as a movie. A, a film about what's like, the title again? Real their quick. relationship. Wendy no. Williams the movie. <laughs> no, just, just checking. But like their relationship, <laughs> like she's like coming up, and her husband is like supporting her, but right. he like has this infidelity, and he sticks with her. Like that relationship core of the film worked very well for me more than anything else in any of the other films. One that we one thing about. I'll say in its favor is that what you love Wendy Williams for is that she is messy. And she like <laughs> yes. says things she's not supposed to say and gets into things great. in public that should be private because mm-hmm. we used to be a world where people had private lives. And the idea that she'll put out petty personal conflicts out in the open, like how often her husband has cheated on her or yeah. this like really brief romantic dalliance she had with Eric B, a pretty famous rapper. And, or was he the DJ and Rakim was the rapper? I don't know. But yeah, uh, it, Eric B of Eric B and Rakim, uh, you know, screwed her over on some like car rental that went wrong yeah. and like she was late to work one time and she like aired his dirty laundry <laughs> and she had to like, pay for the car for sure okay so like this person this person executive producing their own life story and then putting these petty personal grievances out in the open like that like that it. is like a hint of what wendy williams is and it's like oh yeah this was aired in a four-hour block on Lifetime where like half of it was this movie and the other half was her doing an interview laying down eating caviar on Doritos <laughs> and like telling her life story a second time directly so from Wendy Williams's mouth. Cool. And to me it's like why are you not marrying those two topics? Like why separate that? I want to see you tell me the story. We need a redo. But like her husband it came out that her husband like was cheating cheating on her like bought his mistress a house down yeah. the block was paying for her lifestyle with like money that he was making from Wendy. Oh my God. But I feel like she took this as an opportunity to like be like, hey, fuck you again. Right. Because she was so hyper focused on it. And it ha- it wasn't that long ago that that came out into the public yeah. before this was made. Yeah. They got divorced in 2020. Right. I so I think that there was a big, a big focus on that, which had this, which kind of sucks. Like everyone says, yes, it's karma. That her dirt, her dirty laundry gets aired out in the open, but I think like this was she her taking control yeah. of it. Right. But what sucks is like they have a son, and I always felt weird. Like, could you imagine like your mom like talking about her and her dad? Like, it freaks me out. We don't need to know any of this information. It's yeah. kind it's of not funny. Very, that it's, it's, it's not but juicy. I, but I was like emotionally invested. I was with not. her with her and Kevin. Like yeah. their relationship it seems to be doing fine now, and she's was, downhill. I don't know. Like any relationship in any of the films from today, like this one actually hit me where I was like, I'm invested in Wendy and Kevin's relationship. And the fact that it didn't work out, it made me kind of sad. So here's what I like about this movie. So I was talking about (laughs) (laughs) how I was thinking of these films in terms of like objective relaying of a particular story or a moment in people's lives and then the fantasy of your life like 
not knowing anything about Wendy Williams, this movie to me was her like fantasy projection of her own life onto the screen. And I think like like the Aaliyah didn't feel like her story at all. The Leona um, Helmsley was like kind of more in line with Late Shift, where it's just kind of retelling what happened a little objectively. Like I appreciated this as like a psychic fragment of Wendy's world, and it would make sense to me that she would be less obnoxious and kind of less extreme in her own like fantasy of herself and i just thought it was a fascinating like piece of media in kind of in that context as like an act of self-indulgence i get what you're saying yeah but like as an audience like trying to be entertained by this yeah like, this is the same thing as the late shift where like her entire story here is like i got a job and then like after that job i got a better job and then i lined up another job after that and then this other job after that, yeah. like it's she was like, never unemployed for more than two weeks. Wow, what a <laughs> what a great life. Me, yeah. Well, I can't see me neither. I've been unemployed for months at a time sometimes. But like, <laughs> it's not that interesting that this person had a bunch of jobs. <laughs> and like, what is interesting about her is her personality, which does not come across at all. No, what's interesting in the film is her and Kevin's <laughs> relationship. <laughs> it's not. It is. That is the like heart of the film. Metatextually, it's interesting that she would air her dirty laundry. In text, it is not interesting, the dynamics of their relationship. And especially the final argument they have that goes on for minutes on end. What? I felt like I was watching Aaliyah perform an Anastasia song at the Oscars. Like, I just really oh, was I love bo- all of that. It's very bad. Yeah, I love that scene. <laughs> I, re- I really like, <laughs> I liked her performance as Wendy, and I liked Kevin in this film. Like, you know, he's he's going to do you wrong. He's a dirty, dirty thug, but like, heart of gold. I don't know. It just like it made me more mad. Like, cause I was aware of like the her and Kevin thing from like watching her show and she would all like, you know, put bits and pieces out. But like when you had to like walk with them through like all the miscarriages and then she had the child yes, the miscarriages. and then he cheats Come on her after she went through all of that. Brennan, that did nothing for And that like, like made me hate three him. Three miscarriages and he was there for I don't her. Feel like the movie. But then he cheated on her after I she know, had a but kid. It's complicated. Like, and then the story um like I don't ramps trust up him. them having a no, successful birth. You, yeah. Okay. Like her coke addiction. She like is addicted to coke and like does a coke a lot and then like quits it's like oh my struggle is that i did a bunch of drugs and it worked out it's not that interesting it almost (laughs) felt like it also like shed a light on like when like black women just don't get good medical care and how like Mm. she's like you're telling me i just needed bed rest and like no one said anything and that's why i keep having miscarriages i mean it's it's a really painful thing she went through i know the yeah the coke addiction the like three miscarriage the relationship drama with her and kevin i just really like kevin's performance in here yeah he was i mean i know what he's doing i really don't know what to say for myself this i just this movie was set up so that i would not like it uh-huh. and i i can't explain why i didn't I hate it I, that, <laughs> that happened. their relationship was very good in this movie it was solid i will say this movie had my biggest laugh i'm going to say one nice thing about it all right <laughs> all the films, what was right. the biggest laugh funnier than the wet lettuce funnier than like uh, <laughs> okay, jay leno's okay. prosthetic chin she's on the radio in one of her many jobs that she had and uh she starts spilling the tea about Millie Vanilli and how they don't sing their own tracks. <laughs> and her producer storms in. He's like, hey, you can't do gossip on the radio. I don't care about that. They just care about the tracks. Like, you just play the songs. Yeah. And she goes, the people have a right to know. They want to know. <laughs> and he goes, 
revolutionary. To go back to Desperate Living at the very beginning, that's a very John Waters kind right. of line. Yeah. Or like Bottoms has that uh, sort of like anarchic, like, it's not how human beings behave. Right. Yeah. It's revolutionary. Yeah. <laughs> That was oh, funny. Man. But I just wish the movie was more outrageous because she's an mm-hmm. outrageous person. And like, yeah, she is. A, she has a diss track from Tupac because she implicated that he was raped in jail. And he like wrote an entire God. song about how she's an evil person. She's a bad. I know she's <laughs> a bad person. This just, movie does not convey how interesting she actually is. I that's like why her. you have to you, go watch. Y'all would love her show. Just I like, look at highlight clips. I I tried to do the research when I googled Wendy Williams best awful. of. Just it was hot like topics. Wendy Williams best of part twenty nine, and that clip was like a half an hour long. And I was like, I am not <laughs> no this dedicated. <laughs> no, Hannah, you tried to watch some Wendy Williams. Yeah, we're just like, what? No, we can't. How about the time that a TikTok rapper died when they were twenty years old, and she was like, I've never heard oh. of this person. Clap <laughs> oh, if you've heard of them, and the audience was dead silent. Okay, she's done bad shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she did a fabulous interview with Aretha Franklin where she dresses up in this like ro- with this like royal headpiece because she's like interviewing the queen. Like she d- she has good interviews out there. The ones yeah. with Mariah Carey are like so good. Yeah, I was I was really quickly looking through a couple of the controversial things that and actually one thing that popped up was about R Kelly where like she said something that one of the 14 year olds that he was involved with was like responsible for what happened Aaliyah, which is in keeping with yeah. right <laughs> yeah it. which is in keeping with that uh, movie so maybe that is a part of Wendy Williams's personal maybe maybe she influenced that yeah yeah I'm just rooting for her and Kevin well, right no. now she I don't know what's going on with her, but like she's got like physical me- very yeah. medical like, problems. Yeah, yeah. like de- some people are rumored like it's dementia. Her Graves disease is so bad that her like eyes are popping out of her head. Like she's not coherent. And if any other movie produced by anybody else portrayed her fainting on camera in that Statue of that Liberty costume moment when she passed out, I would be a lot more harsh on it. But like the fact that she did that herself on a movie that she produced about yeah. herself, I was like, yeah. all right, I'll give it a pass. That was her like, big moment. Yeah, I I really I'm very largely negative on this topic. <laughs> and like I think over time the budget's decreasing from like when this stuff would air on CBS and HBO, yeah, down to where it is now on Lifetime. Like, there's just nothing left here. Mm-hmm. And if anything's going to match the, like, Leona Helmsley style of this sort of, like, tabloid stuff, maybe, like, a Netflix miniseries. Like, yeah, when they did one about... Totally. What's her name? Anna something? Yeah, Anna Delvey. The- Anna Delvey. Anna Delvey. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and those don't need to be 12-episode arcs the way that that one was. Yeah. But, like, a Netflix movie is more likely to be interesting than a Lifetime movie at this time. Where we are now. Yeah, the quality is The quality is pretty bad now. <laughs> We're in the gutter. Except for the VC Andrews movies that Lifetime does. But other than that, a lot of them kind of feel like this Aaliyah, this windy mm-hmm. thing. It's It just feels rushed. It's a content mill. And yeah. the best stuff on there is like them re-airing um, CBS movies from the 80s and 90s. Right. Like, they're sort of like... like... Play the burning bed again, please. Right, exactly. That's what we want. <laughs> I think the Wendy Williams movie is pretty good. 
How good are we talking here? Like, it's fine. No, I mean, it's not like a great. It's not a I great think it's movie. Like a okay, so like a low floor and a low ceiling. They can only be so yeah, good. Right. And the worst ones are like an actual crime. I'm yeah, right. yeah, exactly. I'm not going to recommend it to yeah. anybody like necessarily. The, the you tell your friends like right. is like an actual crime. Like <laughs> that yes. should not exist. Uh, the Wendy Williams, I think, is a passable pretty, way to spend ninety minutes of your life. I think so. Yeah, better than desperate living is what I'm hearing from the end of the room. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I gave I gave them the same rating. On wow, wow! I gave wow. them both three stars. Incredible so, stuff. There you go. <laughs> uh, next episode on the Lanyap, we're going to talk about. I lied. We're not doing gossip. We're doing movies again. Uh, we're going to talk about Ennis Main, which is like one of our favorite movies <gasps> of the yeah. year, and is now available on Hulu. Yeah, I might try to watch Bait from that same director, which. Has is that been, streaming now? Yeah, it's oh, also on oh, Hulu. Cool. Oh, nice. And it's been like floating around since 2019. It's just never been released in America before. Nice. Uh, but yeah, seaside analog folk horror. Yes. Uh, I love Mayday shit. Yeah. Very like dreamlike, heavily textured, psychedelic. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wanting to watch it again. I felt like I had a dream and I'm trying to remember the details of it from like months ago. But mm-hmm. it is one of the better movies of the year for sure. Mm-hmm.